Welcome to Legal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. Hi, Jonathan. Hello. Well, so it hasn't been that long since we did our last podcast, so we don't have that much time to cover. But wrestling-wise, it was a lot of wrestling. Yeah, I mean, it was WrestleMania week. So a lot going on in WWE and elsewhere. So uh, quite a bit to talk about. Yeah, we'll just jump right into our top five. Five, four, three, two, one. Fire. All right, number five. Um, not actually from WrestleMania week. It's from this past Dynamite. It was the tag match between the Young Bucks and uh, Ray Phoenix and Pac, representing Death Triangle. This was a title match. Yeah, and it was the opening match on uh, AEW Dynamite, and I it lasted like almost a half hour, I think. Yeah, this is. I I think if I'm not mistaken, this is the first. Uh, dynamite with no competition, right? Yes. All uh, right. They they were uh, all alone. Uh, NXT has moved to Tuesday nights, and uh, all alone they did 1.2 million viewers nice. roughly. That uh, moved up, I think, to number three on the night on in the cable ratings in the 18 to 49 demographic, which is the the key apparently for the advertising they're looking for. And so, yeah, it was a big night all around, and, and it got kicked off uh, really nicely by this match, which I, which was, I think, kind of, uh, they've, they've teased it and toyed with it before, but this is, was, is kind of the AEW heel debut of the Young Bucks. Yeah, I, I believe that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that if, uh, if some people who generally only watched NXT or, or generally watched NXT Live decided to give AEW a shot this Wednesday. I really don't know a better way to show people what AEW is than than this match. If you didn't like this match, then AEW is not for you. Right, or if you didn't like the show generally. I thought it was a really strong offering uh, top to bottom. So this is kind of, was kind of like uh, setting the tone. And it really explains what this is. This kind of wrestling is all about. Mm-hmm. And um, not to bury the lead, let's let's talk about what's important. Uh, the Young Bucks had new outfits. Oh yeah, that's right. I almost forgot that. Yeah, brand new gear, uh, which I loved. I thought looked fantastic. Um, Very muted colors compared to their normal pastel kind of. Uh, bright and shiny uh, tasseled scheme right but you know still very young bucks they had uh, feathers instead of tassels um, which goes nicely with them uh, you know being back with with Kenny Omega and um, some really nice uh, headbands with jewels I would almost from them. describe them as kind of like almost like beaded flapper headbands. Yeah, I mean that's that's what they look like, and like you know Nick have... has always worn one with that receding hairline. <laughs> <laughs> but you know this time his brother was matching him, and I actually really like them. I saw some people said they should lose them, but I I like them. I thought they were very. I thought the headbands were very young bucks, and I thought they were very pretty. You just want to buy some in cosplay. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna buy any. I'll just make them. <laughs> So yeah, it was. I mean, they very much look like they could have come from the Great Gatsby's house or something. <laughs> had a, had a wonderful party. Uh, did the Great Gatsby wear Nikes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he did, they would have been Dior. That's true. They would have been. So yeah, and he would have shown everyone. Most definitely. So th- this was a very exciting back and forth work rate kind of uh, high spot oriented match, as you would expect from these two teams. And uh, I I enjoyed it. Like um, as we've. Just 
discussed on the podcast many times, like this is probably not my preferred wrestling style, mm-hmm. but uh, there's few people that do it better than uh, the Jackson brothers and Ray Phoenix in particular. Uh, Pack is someone that can wrestle in any style. It appears just super gifted. Mm-hmm. And so the, it worked uh, phenomenally well, I thought, as a match. I, I just, uh, I, everything was clicking. Yeah, and I just have to say that I I prefer the Young Bucks as heels or as heelish as they get. Um, I just, it goes better, I think, with their sort of natural personalities and the way they wrestle. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I don't I don't mean that, the, that there's anything like necessarily wrong with the Young Bucks. It's just that their attitude is, you know, sort of, they enjoy, you know, a good, cheating <laughs> yeah, i mean i mean there's, there's a natural level of snark that comes exactly. across in, in everything that they do um it should be noted that this podcast uh gets its name from a young bucks heel uh, heel run in, in right. pwg where they they kind of stage whispered hey matt illegal, illegal double, double, double team, team. Yes. so yeah we we enjoy a heel young bucks yes i i think it's just it, it just works better and i and also i mean these are not, I don't imagine that these are ever going to be the kind of like heavily booed and jeered heels that you might see elsewhere. I mean, I'm not sure that even exists in wrestling. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm not sure either. But This is not like Ole Anderson and Ivan Koloff double teaming Dusty in the cage <laughs> uh, on Georgia Championship Wrestling or right. something. Like there's not going to be any riots started because the Young Bucks are out there right. uh, doing a, a soft double Although team. I did think some people were going to riot about, about their the misuse of their shoes. Yes, apparently there's Apparently a... wearing shoes and, and actually moving around in them is a misuse. So there, there's a, we could do a whole podcast on the shoe thing because I was kind of like looking into it. Like there's like, uh, apparently there's like a contingent of people that buy these really expensive, like kind of exclusive pairs of Nikes mm-hmm. and then they don't ever wear them. And um, you have to get on like an app and try to like win basically a lottery to get the opportunity to buy these $250 pair of shoes or $9,000 in this case or whatever. It's like, it's a world that I'm unaware of. I'm so unaware of this world that I thought every time the name of that app trended number one in the United States, it had something to do with Snickers. <laughs> but apparently it has to do with sneakers. I, I do know that. So when I worked for Bleacher Report, one of my cousins uh, is a little bit wealthier than some of, of, of regular people. <laughs> and, and they had a, a kid who was a teenager and he was super into Bleacher Report, but not for any uh, sports-related content. Apparently, Bleacher Report had like a substantial uh, sneaker-based coverage, and so that that's how he knew Bleacher Report. So I, I was cool for a moment until it became apparent that I you didn't know anything didn't, about sneakers. I didn't know anything about sneakers, but yeah. So that's um, a whole other thing. I mean, I guess I'm sitting here staring. I guess I do actually collect sneakers. <laughs> Converse. <laughs> but Converse All-Stars with my favorite characters on them, and they are not expensive. So it's a whole different kind of sneaker collecting. I mean, obviously, I was a huge fan of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So, I, you know, I've I've liked Jordans since there were Jordans. Uh, we were poor enough, though, that uh, when the original Jordans came out, there was like the leather ones. And they also made a pair of canvas Jordans, uh, which I had a pair of huh. because we couldn't afford like the full-on Jordans. Gotcha. I don't know how long they did that. but um, <laughs> Or maybe these were bootlegs. I don't remember exactly. But uh, anyway, uh, I don't know anything about these sneakers, but um, I think it's cool that they wore them. 
just like I don't think you should just keep toys in their packages. Nope. I think you should wear sneakers and bend the toe and do your jumps in them and whatnot. That's what they're for. <laughs> so uh, good match, though. <laughs> All right. Number four. Uh, we chose Walter and Ciampa from the first night of the NXT Stand and Deliver. Is that what they called it? Stand and Deliver. I'll take your word on it. Okay. Let's just say up front that um, this match and the Young Bucks match are kind of like the opposite spectrums <laughs> of like what modern wrestling is, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very different. Different styles, for sure. This was just a straight ahead, um, hit you in the mouth, chop you in the chest, uh, see who's the tougher guy kind of wrestling. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be. What and I hope Very it would well be. done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the last thing I want to see. I, the last thing I want is to go into a Walter match and, you know, see him doing some kind of top rope stuff. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. This is what I expected, and it was done really well. I mean, I do think there is, and there should be some kind of a level of, of concern that if Walter is going to be taken to the main roster of WWE, uh, there are going to be people that don't want to work a Walter match. And what happens then? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Because I, I remember this in the in the 90s when they signed Vader. Uh, WWF did. And they were Vader was like the, the big Haas champion of WCW. And he was one of the biggest stars in, in wrestling as a heel. And, and he came over and guys like Shawn Michaels just did not huh. uh, appreciate the fact that he hit them fairly hard gotcha. in a realistic style of wrestling. Uh, and it was different then because people were working hundreds of days probably out of the year and maybe they, they just weren't up for that. Right. Maybe maybe you could handle it in this kind of modern, like you really only work a couple times a week. Gotcha. Maybe it's more possible. I don't know. But it, 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 I'll be interested to see if they try to bring Walter to right. WWE proper or whether – he fits more nicely into the world of NXT. Well, if you believe the the social media, there's a lot of people in NXT and NXT UK that are very interested in, in facing Walter, and you have to consider that some of those people might eventually move up with him. So that that does, you know, leave some possibilities for main roster. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I've never really thought about Walter going to the main roster. No, I mean, I'm, I would almost hate to see it. But it would be, I mean, it would be good for him monetarily and stuff like that. But, right. I know. think he's made clear, though, that he doesn't want to spend that much time in the United States. So I don't really know if it would even be possible. Anyway, as a match, uh, th- this was super. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not even sure I want him in NXT. I really liked him in his own little universe in NXT UK. But if he's going to come to NXT, I love that they're treating him with the respect uh, he deserves is this uh, kind of icon of the sport and also the long-running champion of that brand. So I, I felt like they treated him as he should have been treated. Mm-hmm. They wrestled the match he should have wrestled, and uh, everything worked out perfectly. How often is that, can you say that about WWE? I mean, you can say it a lot about Walter, maybe not as much about WWE generally. Um, but I will have to say that I did. I liked. Um, I liked the NXT show. The double nights of the the nxt shows um entertaining yeah i mean it's easy to forget because they were kind of cast as the villain in the battle between AEW and wwe but you know for years all of us loved nxt mm-hmm. and they're still basically doing the same thing yeah. they still have much of what 
you know, five years ago were, were the top talents on the independent wrestling scene. And they kind of mixed them in with uh, some WWE or, or wrestling standards like Finn Balor and Johnny Gargano and people like that under the, the tutelage of Triple H and Shawn Michaels. And the whole thing just kind of melts together into a, a nice package. All right, we'll move on to number three. Um, for number three, we chose the main event from Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. I think it was six. Bloodsport six. Is that right? I think that's right. Um, so I, you know, I went in excited. It's Josh Barnett versus John versus Moxley in the main event. Um, I thought this was even better than I expected it to be. Um, I, you know, I'm never quite sure like how Moxley's gonna do um, on these uh, Bloodsport shows, but I, I mean, I guess I gotta stop doubting him after (laughs) you know after this one after his other main events like um he's doing a really good job i I thought this was the best one they've done yet as far as blood support matches uh i was a little bit nervous going in that it would kind of devolve into like a new japan style Mm -hmm. match yeah i think that's um, where my nervousness was because uh you know uh, i thought it was a great match but the match between josh barnett and minoru suzuki uh, could have been held in a, a New Japan mm-hmm. ring. It was very pro wrestling style. Right. This one stuck closer, I think, to shoot style yeah. and MMA style, and there was a lot of blood on the mat. A lot of blood. Um, it, it was a gory mess, and and I really I really liked it. I mean, it's called blood sport. It, it is. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> you probably should have a few gory messes. It's right there in in the uh, in the name, but this was like a, definitely a kind of like the the most diverse I think of the cards they've had as far as like, uh, they tried a bunch of different stuff. I thought mm-hmm. like the, the opening match, uh, Karen Tran, I, I can't remember her opponent's name, but it, it had the most ground oriented blood sport match we've seen yet in, mm-hmm. in any of the versions of the show. It really realistic looking grappling. Yes. Uh, so I thought it was really a nifty match, very different than what they've done before. Very reminiscent of undercard matches in actual shoot style wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was great. And then, but they also had like a match with Schlack where he pretended to bite the guy's uh, ankle and he, he was like uh, in a close up on camera where uh, he had the guy in the headlock so you could see him like real close up pulling the blade out of his wristband. <laughs> and like, so like the whole thing was kind of a mess, but yeah. it was kind of like a glorious mess. Right. So I, I don't know what people made of it, but I found it highly entertaining. But um, so you had those kind of things and then some. You know, Leo Russian, almost like a, a more pro wrestling style yeah. high spot kind of match. I, I had said going into this show that I it looked like the most pro wrestling car that a blood sport had had yet, and that's what it felt like too. I enjoyed the show. I thought there were a I lot of great. really great matches, but I know that I, I'm not as um, I'm not as up on the shoot style and the difference. But you know, I could tell that this was kind of you know getting a little further away from that. But but I thought the main event was actually really good. Well, I think that they're really starting to figure out how to incorporate the structure, which is this kind of no rope, um, kind of like a slightly above the ground, like mm-hmm. a ring with no ropes kind right. of thing. Um, and uh, in the past, they haven't really used that to much effect. And they a lot of the wrestlers were using that in their matches this time. Mm-hmm. It feels like this is going to be like a distinct thing. Oh, yeah, and, it does. And it's people like it. And, mm-hmm. and as it develops, people are going to um, figure out how to do things specifically for that style right. in that structure, uh, in that environment. And I, I think it, there's a lot of potential. I think they're doing a really great job with it. And I'm really excited to see what, what they do next. Mm-hmm. 
I, number two um, is a road trip. Yeah. We had a, a road, road trip, trip right in the middle of, of WrestleMania week. Um, not really related to the stuff going on in Tampa, other than the fact that it was also in the state of Florida. But AEW had their first ever house show, and uh, we went over to Jacksonville to see it. And it was a ton of fun. It was. It was really uh, an enjoyable evening. Uh, first of all, uh, so last time, just a few weeks ago, we were in Jacksonville for the pay-per-view where Kenny Omega and John Moxley had the death match. Mm-hmm. And it was freezing cold. Yeah. Like, it was legit cold. Like, yes. you could see your breath Oh, cold. yeah. I By the end, I had my, like, toboggan on. <laughs> yeah. Here are T-shirts, probably 65, 70 degrees at yeah, night. Yeah, very nice. Just a beautiful Florida night. Like, it's best. You couldn't have booked it better. Well, so these were, um, I guess, technically the worst seats that we've ever had in Daly's Place. Um, they were the highest up at the, at the sharpest angle. And um, still, I thought they were great seats. Oh yeah, I like I like uh, being able to look down on a wrestling ring. Uh, it, it adds a, like a different dimension. Like you see, um, you can see like more of like how things develop it's and true. how things are worked. Especially mm-hmm. like because you you have that overhead view, so right. basically you're kind of exposing how a little bit, yeah, how, how the the matches. And we found that out when we were in Atlanta. Yes, um, which was like. You cannot, I mean, we, yes, both times we were looking down on uh, the ring, but this was nothing like, you know, being in the Atlanta arena where, I mean, we just felt miles away from the ring and like way up in the sky. Um, these were, these concierge seats at uh, Daly's place are, um, I mean, they're, they're a perfect uh, distance from the ring. You can still see everything very, very closely, very clearly. Yeah. I felt really happy with the seats. It wasn't quite as good as like, so like the best seats, like pretty much ever are like the, the kind of, uh, balcony seats at like, say the township auditorium mm-hmm. where we saw ECW sure, yeah. in Columbia and used to see WCW and NWA. Yeah. And would have been at the Roxy if in Atlanta, if they didn't have that weird setup where they put the dining tables along the balcony right. and make everyone else sit behind the tables. So that was, those are seats where like you're up high and you can see everything, but you're also like close enough mm-hmm. that it feels like you could reach out and touch the wrestlers. Yes. Uh, those are the best potential seats. Sure. As far as a slightly bigger arena though, goes the, the this was not bad at all no not bad at all and so it started with uh tony khan uh, yeah. coming out and uh, thanking everyone for being there and talking about uh, how much support the community had given the the, the aw wrestlers mm-hmm. during the pandemic because of course after several months of being a really successful touring brand uh they they were all of a sudden a, a local weekly promotion mm-hmm. And uh, facing the challenges that people like Jerry the King Waller used to have to face, like trying to sell tickets in Memphis every single week. These guys are trying to sell tickets in Jacksonville every single week. I wonder if they're on the nightly news the way Jerry the King was in Memphis when I lived there. (laughs) Legit local celebrity. I'm not sure. So, but it it, it has been like kind of a real uh, interesting way for them to start their business. And uh, so I I got the sense that there's like a a legitimate kind of, um, you know, he he is very thankful that the people have come out and supported them the the way they have. Because it it does seem like that um, if they, no matter how many seats they open up, that's how many people show up. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's a level of interest even a year later in, in the product in that community. 
Yeah, I mean, I obviously, I think he and his family obviously already have a strong connection to Jacksonville. So, yeah, I mean, I think he just continues to be grateful that they have followed him on this other venture as well. So we didn't know what to expect of a house show. No one did. No one had ever seen an AEW house show. So the first thing I noticed was that uh, the setup that they have for the people that control the pyro was completely uh, covered and there was nobody there. So I immediately knew, like, okay, there's not going to be any pyro on this show. And there wasn't. Um, They also did not bring out the um, wrestlers to cheer, uh, you know, on either side of the ring like they do for Dynamite. Um, That area was clear. Um, As far as the crowd goes, um, they got a good crowd. And there were a ton of kids. Yeah, it was different than the last few times we've gone during the week Mm -hmm. for like a a dynamite, uh, possibly for the same issues we have, which is is a school night. I bet it is. Um, You show up on a Friday night and all of a sudden it's packed with kids. Oh, there were lots of kids. And there is nothing more fun than being in a section with an inquisitive, loudmouth kid uh, (laughs) watching wrestling. They're just the best. Uh, I love to see who they cheer for. And um, it remains, you know, your Darby Allens. Even our kids were absolutely entranced with Darby Allens entrance. And, you know, they're, I, I, you know, I couldn't tell you from day to day. I couldn't tell you who, which wrestlers they liked or who they're going to pay attention to. It's, it's kind of a shock to me every show, what catches their eye and interests them. Um, but they were both just super entranced the entire time Darby Allen's entrance was playing and he was coming out and getting up on the turnbuckles and stuff. So I don't know what it is. I guess, you know, I, the the music, the face paint, just everything about uh, Darby Allen like is of huge interest to kids. Uh, Jungle Boy, hating MJF. Kids enjoy hating MJF a lot. <laughs> So do we all. And Cody is very popular with the kids, I noticed. Um, but we had one kid behind us during uh, Cody. Cody had a street fight. And house show or not, um, he and Aaron Solo, like, they went out there and just put on a, you know, literally no no holds barred, no DQ, anything goes, tables, I mean, chairs, you, chains, everything you can think you of. You say what you want about Cody, but uh, he he does the work. That's he right. Like he, he went out there and they worked hard and they did an ECW-style match, basically, uh, <laughs> to include a, breaking a table with a, fr- a, a front suplex. Like it was a they, – they went all out. They gave it their all. I but was you, impressed. You had this kid, this kid behind us just – worried as can be about uh, poor Cody and his health in the ring and Aaron Solo goes for a chair and he's just screaming like he's going for a chair he's going for a chair he's got a chair and then he's like I told you he had a chair I told you he had a chair (laughs) so funny I was just cracking up but um yeah I mean I had this was I didn't I they had a wonderful card I did not know uh you know what to expect in terms of like you know, what kind of effort we were going to get or whether we were going to get little short matches or like the, the longer type matches that you get for TV. Um, for the most part, I'd say that it was just like, it was a dynamite product like that. They, they did their matches like they would, um, for dynamite with the exception of, um, not the main event, which was Darby Allen versus the butcher for the TNT title, but the semi main event, which was a 10 man match, um, that 
ended up being different than what was advertised. They had advertised two separate matches, a tag match for the Young Bucks and a six-man match um, involving, uh, or a tag match for Kenny and Nakazawa and a six-man match involving the Bucks. Well, since the Wednesday before the house show, the Elite got back together, instead we got a 10-man match uh, with the Elite on one side um, with Nakazawa and um, a debut from a DDT wrestler. Right, that's right. Yeah, so it was kind of surprising to, to everyone that uh, uh, Takeshita, Takeshita came out. Uh, a stalwart from the DDT promotion. Uh, you can go on the Russell Universe and... He's had uh, a couple of uh, singles matches with Kenny Omega, but way back in 2012, when Tikesha looked like he was like maybe a teenager, and uh, then they, he's had a tag match against the Golden Lovers. So there's been some interactions with him and, and Kenny, mm-hmm. and um, he's a wonderful wrestler, um, and um, he fit right into this. But I was hoping that when we came to the show, that because it was a house show and not on TV that we might get a little bit more of that AEW flavor that we got in the early AEW shows when they were just pay-per-views, like Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen. I mean, those were some of my, they remain some of my favorite Like silly, AEW. some silliness. Yeah, some, you know, not, not, not taking themselves quite like as the, seriously. The and right. we definitely did in this match. And I honestly, it was one of my favorite things from the whole week. And I know most people aren't going to get to see those parts. Um, they, but did, they did film the entire thing and have commentary. So it, it's possible that the people will eventually see this. Uh, it probably doesn't feel quite the same on, on tape as it did live. But right. um, yeah, it was a, it was a, a lot of... Uh, tomfoolery yeah it was the kind of stuff that i had come to expect from from the elite that we haven't gotten to see in a while and um so i was really i was really happy with it i like i i enjoy seeing that especially live as a live show it's just it's just a lot of fun yeah so um one one of the funniest bits was like after the match was over uh ray phoenix and and pack were up on the turnbuckles they had stolen the title belts mm-hmm. from the Young Bucks and we're holding them up. Right. And uh, Kenny's outside the ring just furious, just <laughs> stomping around. And uh, the barriers have these like sandbags that are holding him in place and he picks up the sandbag <laughs> like he's going to toss it into the ring. And only when he tosses it, it only goes like six inches and flops right he to the ground. He does it twice and can't get it to go anywhere. And he just looks so mad. And then later on he goes um, stomping over and it looks like the guys are going to chase him. So he goes running over to where <laughs> A, a big burly security guard. Oh, yeah, the, after challenging them, very yes. bravely challenging them <laughs> to just, you know, you know what, let's not even wait. Let's just, right now, we'll get back in, in the ring and we'll, we'll have this, you know, match right now. And then he runs off and, and hides behind off. this burly security guard. Uh, Who he feels up and decides, like, yeah, you'll do. You'll do. You're big <laughs> enough. It was, a, it was some good psych acts. Uh, and then it, it, the whole thing comes to a close with uh, the young bucks giving Kenny a kiss on the cheek and him collapsing. Him into passing life. out. Uh, we've seen that before if you're yes. a fan of, the, of these guys. So um, all in all, like, um, it was a, a show that was worth the drive. Oh, definitely. It was, that was, it was a lot of fun. So I, I would recommend, like, they say they're going to do more of these. Uh, I wouldn't hesitate to go if, if AEW is in your town and you get a chance to see a house show. I wouldn't worry that, oh, it's not Dynamite, it's not a pay-per-view, they're not gonna, it's not going to be a great show. Um, 
everything I know about these guys and, and what I saw here makes me think that they're not going to deliver a, a half-assed product. Nope. I wouldn't worry about that at all. And number one, and this is actually kind of, we we had made our um, predictions about what yeah. we were going to like a about little, WrestleMania. A little egg in our face, That's right. right. And what we had said probably it was going to be going to see the house show live. And that made number two. But, you know, we had to be really honest when we made this list. And so the number one thing that we enjoyed out of WrestleMania week this year was WrestleMania. Yeah, WWE. Both nights. Yeah, they just went out and killed it. Like, everything worked. Every single thing. Amazing. How often could that happen? Yeah, and, and now, you know, in 2021, it just seems, it, it just seemed impossible that they, and, and we one of the things we discussed is maybe we weren't excited about WrestleMania because the card didn't look very good. It didn't look very exciting. Well, I think perhaps these wrestlers may have taken that to heart and decided to show people um, that they can put on a WrestleMania-worthy show. Well, they certainly did. Uh, In the main event of the first night, I think... um... You know, there was some doubt about which match was going to main event that card, whether mm-hmm. it would be Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley or Sasha Banks and, and Bianca Belair. Um, at the kind of the last minute, they decided to put the women on, and um, they obviously felt there was something to prove there, mm-hmm. and I felt like they went out and proved it. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know if there was actually any doubt. They, we didn't get an official announcement or whatever, but there really never should have been any doubt like <laughs> that match definitely should have made evented one of the two nights um i i didn't i i couldn't even really imagine anything else um ma- main event in one of the two nights so so it was a it was a excellently wrestled match mm-hmm. uh, and i think the one of the moments so that people will remember for the for the longest time was before any of the wrestling even started um you know there was a huge reception for both of them mm-hmm. um it's two African-American women in the ring in a business that is uh, not treated African-Americans very favorably mm-hmm. and not treated women very favorably over the, the, the course of forever. And, uh, you know, you, there was like a, an emotional moment. Yeah. Like it's kind of like you could see the tears in their eyes. Sure. And then um, all that was put to the side and they went into the match and um, – it was great. Well, you know, I think that's one of the things that was so awesome. And we, we discussed that this wasn't a, this wasn't some sort of long brewing, bitter feud between, you know, two people who, who hated each other. Um, this was two athletes who wanted to prove which one was the best. And so, you know, so it didn't, to me, it didn't take me out of the match to see them both taking in together sort of the, the, the momentous nature of their main event at WrestleMania together. Like they couldn't hide their smiles. They couldn't hide, uh, you know, tender looks at each other about the fact that they were going to share this moment. And I thought that was absolutely fine for what this match was. It would not have fit very well if they had some blood feud going into this. But for for their particular story, um, I, I, th- I think that it was it was fine and touching. Like it was it was beautiful to see. It felt to me like every single person um, made it a point to 
to deliver the best match they could. And I know that sounds trite and like everyone probably is always trying to do that, right? but they were succeeding. Yes. Like, you know, uh, Shane McMahon and, and Braun Strowman went out and Shane took a hip toss off the top of the cage. And, um, <laughs> Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, who had kind of like the defining feud of like Ring of Honor and PWG all these years ago. Wow, that was a crisp um, match. Had a really good match. And then this guy, Logan Paul, uh, who was inserted into it, they made it make sense. Yeah. His involvement somehow made sense. And then he took like a an awesome Vince McMahon-style stunner where he just kind of <laughs> collapsed. Yes. Like a very realistic looking. Yeah. And like, I don't know, it's just like... Who would have thought that, like, you know, the kind of the prevailing sentiment was like, oh, this guy Logan Paul is going to screw up this great thing that Sammy and Kevin Owens have going. Instead, they made it all work. Yeah. And and he played his part well. Yeah, I didn't mind it at all. I mean, and it's just like every single match was like that. Uh, Seth Rollins and Cesaro had a, a tremendous mm-hmm. match. Seth Rollins seems to be figuring out this new character that he has, where he's like just this, this new character of Seth Rollins. <laughs> yes, where he's just like a very <laughs> over the top version of himself. He's wearing these garish suits and delivering these kind of like over the top promos, like um, dare I say, Kenny Omega style. Um, in a way. Slightly less frantic, but yes. yes. So yes. you can see the influence or maybe they're just similar personalities, but um, I don't, everything was working. And then you get to the next night and um, things probably weren't quite so perfect the, 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 the following night, but then it, it was a little weaker. Yeah, I thought. It culminated in um, what was probably the best match of the, of the event, but the title match between Roman Reigns, Edge and Daniel Bryan which was a three-way match, which traditionally I don't enjoy. Me neither. Uh, just because, you know, they it just doesn't work. And there's basically one guy's hanging out and watching the other guys, and then, oh, look, he's going to come in and break up the pinfall. I thought that as structures go, mm-hmm. this one was the best I've ever seen. Yeah. As far as making the three-way nature of it make sense, mm-hmm. that when people came in and out made sense, like it, it all developed really nicely. It was just one of the smartest wrestling matches I've ever seen at a, a WrestleMania. And um, I thought it was great, a great wrestling match. Yeah, I I really I really enjoyed that main event. Four, I thought it was four fantastic. and a half stars, I believe, in the Wrestling Observer, which like for a WWE WrestleMania match is like 137 stars. Like yeah. that's like a, a tremendous. Right. I I don't even get me started with the the stars nonsense, like because I'm pretty sure he gave that Young Bucks tag match five stars. I'm sure. So. Um, yeah, that's that's actually kind of ridiculous, Dave. <laughs> but yeah, that that main event was um, it was fantastic. Like the structure, the psychology, everybody's performance. Um, I don't think you can do that better. Like I just don't. I can't imagine how it would have been better. I, I know there was people who didn't like the interference, but I thought. Um, it worked for, for what it is. It's, you know, WWE wrestling in 2021. Right. Like there's going to be interference and it's just like a, a new Japan match with like Jay White or something. Right. Like you almost have to consider, uh, I've said this about Jay White, sure. but like, um, a Gato interference mm-hmm. is like a big move. Yeah. It's, it's a, like it's some, one of his moves. It's like a head drop sure. or whatever. Same for Roman for, Reigns. Yeah. Gets you, gets you set up for his finisher. That's yes. how it works. So you, 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 once you, when you, when you conceptualize it that way and you start thinking about it that way, like, uh, it being a setup move, mm-hmm. like interference, like it makes a lot more sense. Right. Um, it's just a, another way a wrestling match is done. And you know, this is interesting because 
I'm usually not a fan of commentary. I usually uh, can just tune it out entirely. But one of the things that I enjoyed about the commentary in the three-way match is that they pointed out something that I think people sometimes forget, um, which is that while Jay Uso's interference may not have been super effective as an offense for Roman, it means that Jay Uso takes energy and effort from Edge and from Daniel Bryan that they don't get to use against Roman. Basically, he saves Roman from from some offense, from some blows from the other wrestlers. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's a chance to rest and recuperate. And uh, you know, yeah, those like the flying Daniel Bryan knee or uh, Edge's spear and the things that Jey Uso is eating mm-hmm. are things that Roman's not. Yeah, so I thought it, I thought the commentary good, did a good job of reminding people of that because it can sort of seem like Jey Uso's interference ineffectual. was ineffectual. Right. When it doesn't really matter what he's doing, he's wasting the time and energy of the other guys. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters. Right. He doesn't have to win the battle with Daniel Bryan. He just has to uh, wear him down. Mm-hmm. It's all attrition-based, right? Right. Uh, yeah, and it's it was very smart, and you don't normally... Um, see them pick up on points that actually like help tell the story of the wrestling yeah. match. Like it's very unusual. Every time I hear something um, subtle from, from, from the commentators, I always get the suspicion that one of the wrestlers has put it in their ear. Yeah. Which is what they should do. Right. Uh, but, oh, for sure. I know they do. Absolutely. Right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just very curious. I've, I was just thinking about this the other day watching UFC where it's just kind of like a given that, um, you know, the, the maxim in actual combat sports is that styles makes fights. And there's like an understanding that, I, that uh, you know, a fighter may have uh, trouble with fighter B because he's a wrestler and the guy's not good at wrestling, but that he may beat fighter C who's good at kickboxing, but not good at wrestling. You know, there's like different strengths and weaknesses and it all like kind of plays out in the cage Mm -hmm. uh, to determine who wins. Right. Like it's just like uh, understood. Mm -hmm. And that's a facet of combat. That's not ever even discussed in pro wrestling where it could be like, Hey, a guy's struggling with pack because you know, pack is really fast and this guy doesn't do well with fast. Right. He, he, he handles like a big Lance Archer much easier. Right. Uh, they don't even, they haven't even gotten there. Like, you, you know, we are so at one Oh one level of combat mm-hmm. with like wrestling that yeah. like, um, in some ways there's a lot of growth that could be, uh, that is still there storytelling wise with wrestling. If they start thinking about it. Right. It would help so much too, because like when you're, what you're pointing out with MMA is that you can't do the, um, well, A beat B and B beat C. Right. Then A beat C every time. Right. Like you can't, that doesn't work in, in actual combat because of what you're talking about, strengths and weaknesses, it doesn't have to work in wrestling either. And I think sometimes people's minds say, well, that person losing to this other person doesn't make sense because, you know, C has lost to B, but A, B. And it's just like, no, like that, we got to think, but there has you, to be more nuance than yes, that. Yes, and then, so then it requires like taking it to the next level. Like maybe someone can't hit their move against Darby Allen because Darby Allen is way too fast. Mm-hmm. But what they can do is hold Darby down and outpower him. Like um, they they kind of like t- 
talk at that storyline sometimes, but it's never actually what they do. Right. Where instead, everyone just does all their same moves, and like a 150-pound guy who does like a big suplex is going to do that on Lance Archer or Jeff Cobb, because that's what they do. Okay, right. As opposed to like uh, altering their story for the altered circumstances. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can see wrestling going that would be very exciting. Um I mean, they're probably not going to do it, but but it, the potential is there yeah. to take storytelling in, in kind of like deeper waters than it is right now. So um, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to see with as MMA and boxing, you know, kind of permeate the culture in a way they, they haven't before. Like maybe these concepts will um, uh, trickle down into wrestling. We'll see. Um, so this was a kind of an interesting uh, WrestleMania week for us in in that uh, we sort of gravitated towards the big shows this year. The little shows uh, didn't captivate us as much as they have in the past. No, it was uh, a very disappointing. Like uh, we thought that, you know, generally we've enjoyed the Joey Janela's uh, spring break the, the best. It's been the most kind of diverse show, weird weirdo show with like, you know, so many different forms of wrestlers. You never really knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's almost like there's a house style for, yeah. for that, for GCW style wrestling and indie wrestling and, and the same crop of performers. It was basically just the same shows that we have seen week in and week out from the same group of people. Yeah, there there was just there was some joy and spontaneity missing from from some of the indie shows. Uh, yes, this year, and I it, don't it know al- if it's it just the environment more, more or corporate. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure if that's uh, if that's what it is. If it's if they know they have eyes on them and and therefore they're trying to yes. fit in they're trying to fit into or the, you know if it's just a product of, of the fact that this is just not a very joyful spontaneous time and maybe it's too much to ask that that people be you know up for an indie wrestling show that way yeah it, it just felt to me like um stylistically it was not especially different than what's offered by the big brands at this point only just less uh well-performed for the most part. <laughs> and less polished, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just to be, to be <laughs> blunt about it. I mean, there's some things like extreme death matches and stuff, but, um, you know, even those, like, were, were not a, very special. No, they, they weren't. I, I thought I would enjoy the main event of the Spring Break show a little better, the um, Ricky Shane Page versus Nick Gage championship match, but um, that was a little too structured a little too um it was much less about like two guys that hated each other and much more about let's build some stuff to. oh there was way too much time spent on carpentry in that match for sure um yeah it was just it was uh there was just a little bit the too much like they just put too much into it and uh really blunted what i why what i had hoped was was kind of gonna feel like um just like sort of visceral hate (laughs) right which is kind of like the point of having a year-long storyline is that like there's supposed to be a lot of feeling involved in it right um this did not feel no any different than any other glass no i really honestly feel like it should be what's behind nearly every single death match like i i feel like there should be this feeling of like i'm gonna kill this other guy or i'm gonna die trying and instead of hey 
look at all these crazy things we do. Yes. Like that's, there was too much of that. These were two guys doing, hey, let's do spots. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it either. So yeah, the, the, it was a, a big disappointment. And so, um, and, and especially I think um, that stuff works as a great alternative, uh, especially when, when the mainstream wrestling is letting you down. Like, here's something, you know, these people that really love this and they're into it, and maybe it's not the most polished, but they're giving everything they have to it. They love it as much as we do. Um, that doesn't work when you don't feel that from them. Mm-hmm. And also when the actual wrestling is really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, it really kind of highlights um, how good the WWE and AEW wrestlers are. Right. You know, in a way that some some people are, are not. Yeah, I, I, I just do think that for the most part, what was most disappointing to me with the smaller shows was just a little bit too much sameness, just too much same, same over and over again. I felt a lot like uh, some of the people you saw in the crowds of the smaller shows where it was like, there was maybe 10 or 15 people there. (laughs) And like every single one of them was just staring at their phone, like, you know, on the hard camera. And it was just like, yeah, I I kind of feel that like these are the same guys doing the same spots. Um, None of them are really giving a hundred percent because uh, they're going next door in two hours to do another match. Right. And so that, you know, that's kind of what this has become. Yeah. And, and like, there's just no way around it. You can't give everything to a match when you have three or four matches in a day. Uh, mentally, whether you know it or not, you're, you're holding back. Right. And, and, and also it's just less special to see, like, you know, how special is it to see somebody that you just saw an hour ago. <laughs> right. Like, you know, when you're trying to watch this stuff on on IWTV or, or Fight TV and it's just the same people in match after match, I don't know. Well, maybe they'll get some of it back as, uh, you know, the crowds can come back and they can bring in um, they performers need, they from need, more places. They need more yeah, performers. they need more different and performers. And they need different, different yeah. feeling, different style performers. Um, I, I don't really blame them i mean it's the 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 time that we're in sure um but it it, it did definitely did not feel the way it has in the past nope but um yeah like we see we'll see if they can uh bring it back uh maybe next year but in the meantime wwe was ready to step up and and create something like i i thought was very joyful all right so you want to hit some questions sure all right so Danny Cheeseburger asks, what's the biggest fantasy cross-promotion match you would love to book if you had the pencil? Okay. I mean, I, that's easy. I'm never, I'm, until it happens, I'm probably not, uh, well, and they get too old, but it's Kenny Omega, Brock Lesnar. So, yeah, you've shared that with us many times. Uh, it's not going to change. Okay, so let's put that aside. Okay. What What other cross-promotion matches do you think would work for you? Daniel Bryan and Okada? That would be an interesting one. I mean, that's what I thought of. What about you? For for me, I think um, I'm really into Walter and trying to think about like who Walter would work with that he hasn't uh, worked with a lot that I know of Mm -hmm. in uh, other promotions. And I was thinking that like what you would need for Walter is like a a sympathetic kind of like spunky baby face. Okay. And that kind of thing barely exists in wrestling anymore. Like Ricky Steamboat style. Like, 
a big selling like emotive baby face. Okay. And this is going to sound weird, but maybe the closest thing that they have to that in AEW is Eddie Kingston. So I, I would, whoa, that's weird. I would think that like you could really get the fans behind like a a struggling Eddie Kingston who's taking a real beating, but is too tough to quit in a match against Walter. Okay. And they could go back and forth with some real good slug. Uh, some, I see. I see what you're building there. Some some clubbering, but I, I think that Eddie also has that potential to to play the like the underdog. Okay, I I will say having been at that house show. Uh, the crowd loves Eddie Kingston. Yes, that's what I'm saying. They're there for him in that yeah, way. Yeah, I mean he he. I mean his his match was was fine. It was nothing special, but he took the mic then, and then just talked to the crowd for a while about how he'd been at AEW for a year, and and before that year he had been down on his luck and thought he was going to have to sell his house and move back in with his moms. And I mean the crowd was just eaten up. Every bit of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, he is. He was even like, uh, I think if I if I met most of you, I wouldldn't like you, but because you love me, <laughs> yeah. or you know, it's just like a. And they were there for the. Oh whole my thing. gosh, the whole the whole thing, um, and I mean, I think obviously, like, I mean, no one else took the mic and talked directly to the crowd after their match. Like they know that the crowd is gonna be. They know the crowd wants Eddie. To talk to them like this, so I, I see what you, I see what you're talking about in terms of that, yeah, that super sympathetic baby. I mean, they even tried to like make him a heel, and nobody, no, nobody, yeah, then no one wants to see that. Nobody wants that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, his, his has been one of just the most incredible stories. He reminds me the most of people that I've worked with in all kinds of different places more than any other. A wrestling character that I've ever seen. I just keep thinking about it, and I'm like, he reminds me of people that I worked with at the bookstore, at Wendy's, in the army. He reminds me of my brother. It's just, there's like, <laughs> it just feels like you know this guy. Yeah, there's like a a, a lovable dipshittery about yeah. it. And uh, just like he's like a real blue collar feeling individual in a way that like you know, uh, God bless him, but like Cody or somebody. Is not no, no matter, he can't do that. He can't do it. No, your dad was a millionaire. You grew up in like right. you know, richy rich suburbs. Sure, sure. Like, this is like a real son of a plumber type guy, you right? Know? Um, and and you're like you're basically looking at him, going like, okay, well, you got a lot of tools here, but you haven't necessarily had a whole lot of success, and that's probably because you just keep fucking up. Like yeah. you just know it. <laughs> yes, like like all of us, right? Like like my brother and yes. lots of people I work like with. Like a real person, like a, a fallible individual yes. who's like lovable, but also like you wouldn't necessarily trust him to borrow your car. No, no, and you I know? assume everything he says is like ninety percent bullshit yes. and ten percent true. And you love him, but for I don't him. care. I I don't. I'm not even mad about that. All right, so you're with me on that match. I see what you're doing there, I, and that you're right. That would probably be pretty cool. All right, so Anthony Lania asks, uh, "What are your thoughts on doing a huge battle royal or tournament among a number of high-profile recent releases or people from the Indies for an AEW contract?" Uh, I'm sure Tony Khan could afford it, and uh, fans really badly want to see these wrestlers. Um, I don't like that. I, and you know what? And it it's feels weird. really like real life manipulative. Yes, like, and you know? know what it reminds me of? That horrible storyline that WWE did, did with Drake that Drake Maverick. Maverick. Yeah. 
oh, that bothered me to my core. And I'm not one of those people that hates on WWE all the time. Like, I'm like, they're a big corporation and they do big corporate things. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. That one, using that way, that one the way that they did, oh, I did not like that at all. And this is a little bit what it feels like because this is not a real sporting event. You can't, you don't, can't just go out there and do your best and compete. Like, they're going to, whoever they're going to give the contract to will be booked to win. Like, right. It, yeah. I mean, if it was real life like and you're given some kind of, here's an opportunity for a job and mm-hmm. you can earn it, like, that's a feel good story potentially. Right. Like, uh, but. In, in wrestling, really, that's just te- a tease on yeah, all those people. Yeah, it's just a tease because they're going to book to win whoever it is they want to sign. It's going to be known before any of this stuff happens. Right, and, and that's like putting aside that personally, um, I feel like AEW has a good core of wrestlers right now. Yeah. Too many for, for the time they have on television. So um, I'm of the personal opinion, this is nothing against any of the wrestlers that right. were let go. Um, some of whom I enjoyed quite a bit in WWE, but like I, I feel like AEW has something good right now. There's a lot of people I like in AEW that are not getting time on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they need to sign anybody else. No, not right now. I, I just I didn't see anybody on that that list that I would Prefer. rather have over someone that's already there and and probably we're not getting to see enough. Okay, so we agree. Not everyone does, which is fine. But I mean. I, there was the one exception with Samoa Joe. Oh, of course, if you could, but I mean that's a slightly different level than the others who would be like uh, undercard kind of people. Like, right. Uh, Samoa Joe is a, a different animal. Yes. Uh, obviously, he's in his forties and hasn't wrestled in a year because of serious head injuries. Yes. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes with him. Right. That would make you wary uh, if you were a big corporation like AEW or. Um, you know, WWE liked Samoa Joe. They seem to. They booked him 100 matches a year every mm-hmm. year until he had the head injuries and couldn't be booked. Yeah, but it's kept not, him kept him seen anyway. Right. They st- even despite those injuries, they kept him on TV as an announcer. So they obviously uh, thought he did great work. Mm-hmm. So, like, the idea, like, WWE didn't respect Joe and didn't drop the ball with him doesn't really necessarily reflect reality. Right. It's more like this guy is old and got hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh reading between the lines, couldn't get clear to wrestle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what health-wise is different about him wrestling for a promotion that's not WWE. Right. Besides, maybe they don't have the same care and standard. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking out of turn. I don't know the details, but I do know there's a lot of... Um, a lot of reasons to be like wary of like a return. Like uh, you kind of like I saw people like Joe should work the G one. It's like well Joe couldn't work a match for a year. Yeah. You want him to work the G one? <laughs> Get dropped on his head fifteen times in a month? Yeah. Like I'm not sure that's what a guy who's had such serious head injuries that he can't wrestle right now. Mm-hmm. WWE doctors, which who are not notoriously like stringent, like you know, they let guys who have broken their necks and had chronic head injuries, like Daniel Bryan, can come back. Um, so it's not like they they don't let injured people wrestle in right. WWE. If they're not letting this guy wrestle, they have serious concerns. Yes, um, him being in the G one is maybe not best for him. He's a grown man. He, I mean, but you know, those are things you have to think about. Sure. So anyway. Uh, I'm not for that idea. Okay. Uh, Rich Bernal asks, uh, so I, I posted some pictures from uh, our army time. Okay. Uh, in, in Germany where uh, 
it was me and some of the other soldiers with uh, Matt Hardy. Chris Benoit was there. Sure, I was there too. Uh, I remember. Jamie Noble, I think, was a wrestler that was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to know, uh, did I say anything to them <laughs> <laughs> when we were there? Um, so, yeah. Uh, ever the journalist. Yeah, so we were there in a, a journalism capacity with the American Forces Network, which is the radio and television station for soldiers overseas. Mm-hmm. So like when you are in a place like Germany or Italy or Japan or Korea or Saudi Arabia or Kuwait, um, obviously our American soldiers can't enjoy the television product they have there in another language. Right. And so we broadcast our own in. Yes. And most of the TV networks and places like WWE give us their programming for free mm-hmm. to show to the soldiers. Yes. But we they also do local news style production if you've ever seen a major sport you have likely heard them say the commentators something. say you know we're being watched worldwide on afn that's us right that yeah. was us most people think it's the the, the armed forces network used which is what it used to be uh, if you've seen good morning vietnam that's the yeah. oh my god yeah that's that was us right so um, anyway, the, good, good morning, Frankfurt. The the local news and and radio is manned by actual soldiers, and that was what we did. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we were at this WWE show uh, as uh, fake soldier journalists. Um, we went to a lot of, of yes. WWE shows in Germany. WWE at the time, maybe still like Germany was a huge market for mm-hmm. them, and big and, big arenas. And at the time, huge crowds. Um, we still had tens, hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Um, in Germany. Yeah, in, in Europe, yeah. So they would come and they would meet the soldiers and they would give away a lot of tickets to soldiers to come and see the various WWE shows. Long story short, we were at a lot of WWE events. Yeah, ringside. Ringside, backstage, <laughs> doing interviews with the wrestlers. This was a particularly interesting one because um, most of these WWE wrestlers had tremendously polished, right? They, mm-hmm. they do a lot of interviews. Yes. Uh, they do a lot of media work. Right. We always got to see... Um, well, the big show. The big show was great. Yeah, he was almost always someone they put forward um, for all the press to talk to. Um, Sable uh, was the sweetheart. They would always have Rhino because apparently his wife is German. Yes, or and right? yeah, her whole family and everything was was German. Um, so yeah, it was. I mean, there were so many of them. Like uh, I remember, we met the the, the Godfather and. Uh, John Cena and how I mean a billion of them Triple H Shawn Michaels like a bunch of them we saw um but uh Benoit was my favorite wrestler mm-hmm. I was so excited that he was there and I wanted to interview him so bad he de- as much as desperately as I wanted to interview Chris Benoit <laughs> he desperately did not want to be interviewed no so um so we're there, and so like normally when it's like work, right? So normally when you go to do a video shoot, um, it's like you can't get anyone to come help you. It's like you're you're by yourself, and maybe you can get one other person to come. Right. When it's wrestling, like all of a sudden, like the supply clerk is there. Yeah, we like <laughs> people who didn't even like work on camera. S- suddenly there are a lot of people volunteering. So we had like six or seven people there, and um, we're in this room of VIPs, and we're, you know, everyone's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Except for Benoit. <laughs> and, and he's like, he, he basically makes a run for yeah, it. Yeah, he's trying to run. Uh, to the stairwell. Mm-hmm. And I chase him down with the cameraman. <laughs> I'm not going to let him leave. No. So I do an interview with Benoit, basically in the stairwell. Yeah, he's like half through the door. Yes. Like desperately trying to get away. <laughs> and I'm not going to let him go. And uh, 
and it's hard. Like he, it's hard to do it. He's on camera, and you're asking like at the height of, you know, pro troop rah 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 nine yeah. eleven stuff. Like he can't uh, just he shut can't, the door on you. Right, right. He's got to do it for the troops. It's awkward <laughs> as shit, though. It was. He was. He was the worst person we met, except for possibly Jamie Noble, who was like obviously like either like just like super anxious and unwell or really fucked up yeah one or the other or both like yeah just yeah kind of not there yeah someone right he wasn't capable of (laughs) handling a conversation so anyway i did get to ask chris memoir a couple of questions um and you took that opportunity to ask him like completely obscure stuff yeah none of the i mean i asked him one question because i'm a professional about like hey how do you feel about supporting the troops who are over here blah 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 and then i'm like oh no you know, how'd you like working for Otto Vons over here in Germany? And he's just looking at me like, what? This guy's asking me about Otto Vons? Like, what is going on here? Um, uh, so, yeah, it was a, it was a awkward and um, awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, that was your one shot. So. That was my, my one shot. Uh, there will never be another. Um, yeah, so now I don't know what to feel about it. Uh, obviously, he was my favorite, and that was a, a tremendously... Um, fun experience and then you know he everything that he's that's happened with him is colored like every every sure but you didn't know that at the time of course and he was just your favorite so yes um so anyway yeah we did try to talk to her (laughs) that's quite a thing um metal michael asks what celebrities or athletes would you like to see try pro wrestling if any celebrities or athletes it's hard to really like pinpoint someone in particular because like um who would have thought when they tagged him that bad bunny right would put on a wrestlemania classic well so i i mean i definitely know that whoever it is they need to be enthusiastic about the business because it's gonna take some work yes and um and you're going to have to make some sacrifice. So I think that goes a long way. Like when you see somebody and when you see an athlete or you know, non-wrestling athlete or, or a celebrity get in the ring, like it, I, you need to be able to feel that, that they're a fan and that they're going to, that they put in the work. Yeah. So they understand, they have to have a respect for it and like an understanding that it's going to take a lot of effort on their part to just be carryable. To put on like a baseline level performance, um, WWE and uh, AEW demonstrated this as well. Uh, they have the 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 people there who can build a match around an athlete or entertainer mm-hmm. who maybe doesn't have a lot of experience. Right. They can they can they can slot you in in a way that it is going to work. Right. If you put in the work. Right. And and you have the effort and the want to. That's, I think, the key to all of it. So one of the things, this is only kind of related, but it's one of the things that I've talked to you about, which is that something that I think might help women's wrestling is um, getting female athletes to shift over into wrestling the way that oftentimes when you look at some of the Japanese women's wrestlers, they have a background in gymnastics or softball or soccer and um i I think that would help the um development of women's wrestling a lot if you could find a way to open up that pipeline because 
an awful lot of the women in women's wrestling will say that they were not athletes before they decided to, to go into wrestling. And unfortunately I, that comes through in a lot of the performers. And, um, it, I, I just feel like it might raise the level of performance in women's wrestling if they could sort of open up that channel from uh, college athletes. With For most women, there's nowhere to go. There's, there's nowhere to go beyond um, you know, being a college athlete in their sport because there isn't a professional league uh, for most of the sports you know, into training for professional wrestling. Right. Uh, so if you, it's hard to like pinpoint a specific celebrity, but uh, I will say that uh, Logan Paul uh, has a, a very natural manner uh, and charisma and a good size, and 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 he just like exudes just kind of like confidence and and he's a natural heel, <laughs> uh, and and um, I don't know, it seems like he might be good. He has some uh, a level of athletic prowess. Like I I could see him doing a match, and. I don't know. There's just something about the way he presents himself mm-hmm. that seems perfect for wrestling. Like he's doing what heel wrestlers want to do, uh, just kind of naturally pro- projecting that. <laughs> so um, I, I I would enjoy watching him give it a shot. Okay. Uh, so Will Cooling asks a similar question: uh, What wrestling match would you have put on yesterday's Triller card? Uh, <laughs> it's a thriller it's a was a celebrity boxing event headlined by the logan paul's brother jake paul mm-hmm. against mma fighter ben Askren. it had a lot of performances by musical acts of all kinds from like old school gangster rappers that we grew up with like too short and ice cube and snoop dogg to like a uh, modern uh dance acts who I don't remember the names of Justin, <laughs> Justin Bieber was one of them. Um, so yeah, it was a very diverse show, weirdo show. There was a slap <laughs> fight refereed by Ric Flair. That's amazing. Um, yeah. The whole thing was crazy. Um, what wrestling would have fit in, fit in there actually like based on the musical acts they had there, mm-hmm. like that bad bunny match sure. would have been perfect for Triller. Mm-hmm. Like that's the kind of like, um, contemporary and, and hip act that Triller had right. like you know you're you're not putting on Undertaker against AJ Styles or something yeah like they, they want something different and young right it felt like the commentary and maybe the audience as well would have enjoyed some crazy lucha oh yeah something really weird yeah like, uh, kind of like the one that they did at the Joey Janela spring break the yeah. one match that had kind of some energy sure um, or, or an AEW style match with uh, Ray Phoenix or someone mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I think Ray Phoenix is the kind of act that would work at Triller mm-hmm. where it's just like, so over the, like his natural abilities and like what he does in the ring is so over the top that it would match the energy of, right. of Triller. Um, so yeah, I could see something like that. Yeah. I think a standard wrestling match like is going to die a, a really devastating death <laughs> it's got to be something that's high octane right all the time or has a celebrity involvement okay so um bad bunny actually is would have like you could have seen bad bunny as an act on that show okay so he's the kind of performer they had so that would have actually worked and they would have been happy to waste all their money on that okay <laughs> whatever like uh dc money they have or angel investors or whatever they've got going on there they're gonna have, be happy to toss it at bad bunny or whoever all right. <laughs> to be on that show um so yeah that would have worked uh Another related question, Buckaroo Banzai asks, which pro wrestler would you most want to see box Jake Paul? So we've seen Jake Paul uh, 
beat up a YouTube guy. We've seen him beat up a retired basketball player. We've seen him beat up a retired MMA fighter. Um, now pro wrestler. Okay. Uh, so one that made sense to me, uh-huh. uh, like right out, off the bat, is CM Punk. Uh, because he has a name, uh, and he has a, a connection to Ben Askren, who's the MMA fighter. They train in the same gym. Okay. Uh, in, I didn't in know In Milwaukee. That. All right. And so there's some connection there between CM Punk and Jake Paul. Maybe he could be avenging the loss of Ben Askren. Um, I think Punk is like a, an appropriate, appropriately sized name that they could do big money. Um, All right. If CM Punk is willing to uh, to get beat up for money again. <laughs> I mean, he seemed happy to get beat up for money in MMA. When right. He, he made a lot of money from UFC to be... Uh, embarrassingly defeated in two fights <laughs> um, like so would he be okay with getting knocked out by a youtube guy i don't know how much he needs the cash all right but that would be a good one anybody okay. you would want to see no you don't care at all nope so christine and i had opposite feelings about <laughs> thriller which like we're watching the same thing and i'm like this is the this is the worst shit ever. I love it. And you're like, this is the worst shit ever. Okay. I hate it. I don't even like long entrances or walkouts. Like in, when I'm watching a fight show, I just want to see people fight. That's it. Like blood sport. That's th- that pacing is perfect for me. Everybody just walks out and fights and walks out. Like that's, that's it. That's all I want. Like, I don't want any musical acts. I don't want, but what if it's too short? I no, I want no musical acts. You don't want to see ice no camp? anthems. I don't want any ridiculous commentary. I just want to see people fight. Now, I did watch the slapping. <laughs> and I will watch anybody have a slap fight. Anybody. And that was crazy. <laughs> that was a, quite a slap. Yeah, so that was, uh, I, I don't know exactly what the, the earlier parts were. Like, I've seen those kind of slap fights, like Russian slap fights or whatever. It's like, like they're, they're, that violence there is definitely, the, uh, of the last slap, uh, is what they're normally about. Yes. I don't know what, like, the fake little slaps were leading up to that, but it did kind of, like, ramp you up for the finish, I don't right? understand it at all. Like, it feels like some sort of like so shambo like yeah. who wants to go second so <laughs> like... if, if you haven't seen it it's like the pro wrestling uh that is popularized by new japan uh where like two dipshits just stand there and take turns hitting each other yeah where it's like i'm gonna hit you with a forearm uh, look how tough i am i'm gonna hit you now you hit me right only these guys were actually slapping each other yes and they're two big kind of fat guys and at the end like one of them just slaps the shit out of the other guy <laughs> shit out of but i'm like why but why didn't you just do that the first that's what slap. i'm saying so the, i don't understand there it. was some kind of work they, they were building up to it oh i see but um, that's not how the human body works no. <laughs> it was for it was performance based like this was performance art is what was happening <laughs> um, I, it was mesmerizing. This whole thing was uh, so. Ric Flair is the referee, and he's just staring at he's these guys. He's staring. And uh, Pete Davidson uh, is there, and he's like, he's like talking about how he's going to fire his agent for, for him being <laughs> a part of this. Um, the whole thing was great, or terrible, or both. So I forgot what the question was, but CM Punk is going to fight this guy. <laughs> okay. Slash Christina doesn't care. Uh, so Danny Cheeseburger had a, another uh, question, which was, was there a particular moment of WrestleMania that stood out for you? Uh, he talked about the opening of Bianca versus Sasha that we we talked about as oh, well. Oh, sure. Um, so I, I think that was that was it for me too. 
Um, well, for me, I think it's, um, was probably, I'm going to remember one of two things. Um, first of all, I am not, I'm the opposite of whatever a McMahon hater is. I love the McMahons and I like anytime I get to see the family out there. Um, so they opened up both nights with the whole roster out, including Vince, uh, Shane, uh, and Stephanie. And so I, I like that a lot. I like being able to see them. And then, um, the other thing that is going to, that I'm going to remember is Bianca slashing Sasha with her hair. Oh yeah. That was a great moment. That was amazing. And I'm not going to forget that. And I, I saw like you, I retweeted someone who was like saying that that was unnecessary. And I was like, unnecessary. Like, that's what I'm going to remember. Like, yeah, that was the, that was the best part. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, it was so loud and, and just, yeah. And you just knew like, okay, that's the end. Like (laughs) she, yeah, she's finished. Like I, I thought that was fantastic. And it was so Bianca. It's like, it's like a trademark. I mean, right. Yeah. Those, those two moments I'll, I'll remember for sure. So Rich Bernal asks, uh, how are the food options at Daly's Place? Uh, basic. Terrible. <laughs> I, I'm sorry if Tony Khan is listening, but um, I, I'm not, I don't remember how they were pre-COVID. Yeah, I don't remember either. So that's not fair. Now, now they basically have one place that's open, and it has uh, very basic hot dogs, um, nachos, like bad, like, nachos from the 80s mm-hmm. kind of ballpark nachos not like like if yeah. you go to like a ball a, a baseball stadium today oh yeah that like, shit's fancy yeah you get great nachos and and stuff like that like uh, this is like no this is like uh movie theater in the 1980s nachos yeah like i think we were in atlanta and i was just i couldn't even decide what i wanted to eat there were like it was like a food court it was just no yeah they really crazy they options had a, they had a shake shack at the yes. atlanta ballpark and stuff like yeah that was great and this is not like that at all um, <laughs> no no this is not like yeah, so yeah it has like hot dogs and popcorn and nachos <laughs> and pretzels and then it's like kind of like some kind of almost like a convenience, a convenience store, store but yeah. like my kid went and got like a bag of like um gummy worms or something and then it's like ten dollars yeah, or something ridiculous um, so yeah tony khan you need to you need to take a look at this you guys could be doing better in this area yeah th- yeah not not great options but there's like you can clearly see there's a lot of stuff that's not open yes i don't know what it's like normally we yeah. got to be fair um it's a weird environment and so they they may not have everything open that they would normally right but it does i mean for all intents and purposes, so for our purposes, that doesn't—I don't know—that doesn't matter. It's still crappy options. Yeah, crappy options. So yeah. I generally don't even eat while we're there. Although the last that house show, because we drove right, right. into the show, yeah, so I was starving. Yeah, we didn't have any time to eat, so yeah, we got we got to enjoy their hot dogs. The last two. <laughs> the remember? last two. We were told. Um, <laughs> so that was very exciting that we got the last two that. Uh, they found in the back. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means. But I, <laughs> we were so hungry, we didn't want to. Yes, care. it was absolutely like fine. You, you you already have to like not think about the hot, hot dogs, dogs <laughs> that you're eating. So like you just add to that the fact that they're like no more hot dogs, and we're like oh man, they're like oh wait, we found two hot dogs <laughs> in the back. Like I'll take it. Whatever. Whatever you. I don't. I don't even want to know. I mean, hot dogs don't even actually technically have to be cooked, so (laughs) it's fine. (laughs) We're still alive for now. 
<laughs> I think it's been long enough. No, if it's we been were, long If enough. we were going to die from those hot dogs, it would have happened. Um, so <laughs> Craig asks, have either of you read anything by Murakami, great, great fiction writer who's written some great nonfiction as well? Um, it turns out I have not. So I... I had to look him up. And, you know, but it turns out I have not. Now, a lot of it sounds like stuff I would enjoy. And now I'm going <laughs> to look it up. So I, I, I want to, I have, um, so he was becoming like a popular literary author in, in the U.S. Uh, towards the tail end of when we were working in bookstores. Mm-hmm. So I, I had read. That's the right timing. I had read Norwegian Wood. And I think the I think Windup Bird Chronicles maybe something like that. I don't know. Uh, I definitely a, he wrote Norwegian Wood. I I, I, I read a, a couple of his his books, um, literary uh, fiction, kind of angsty looking uh, into the the past. Uh, the Norwegian Wood was set in the sixties. Um, yeah. So yes, but it's been twenty years probably. Right. So um, I've not kept up with his work. Well, I saw two titles um, that that sort of interested me, so I'll I'll check it out. Uh, we I may still have the the books upstairs, so it's worth checking out. Yeah, I'm not gonna go look upstairs. Okay. I'll just get it on the Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> Buy it again. <laughs> There's st- bugs upstairs. <laughs> st- stimulate the economy. Fair enough. Uh, Craig also asks, do either of you feel there are too many fans covering wrestling? Instead of those who adopt a more journalistic approach, I feel that it, that's personal towards me. <laughs> a, a journalist indifferent to wrestling that covers the business would be an interesting perspective, unless there's one I'm not aware of. Your thoughts? I um, don't really read people writing about wrestling, so yeah, I, honestly, I don't care. I don't follow that much um, wrestling journalism either. Uh, I, I do think that, like, um, so there's not a traditional journalistic approach to to wrestling is going to be difficult one because of the nature of the business two because most mainstream companies are not hiring anyone to do wrestling journalism Mm -hmm. uh they're hiring you to do access-based pieces of the kind that i did with wwe and AEW at at bleacher report in which you were expressly forbidden from doing any negative quote-unquote journalism about either company (laughs) right like that would be they would just cut you off and so you, they control all the access. The companies don't care about you doing journalism. They they just want some wrestling clicks, and they want you to keep WWE and AEW happy. That's kind of the name of the game. Right. And so um, I tried my best to tell interesting stories within that framework, but there was never going to be a moment where I was going to do some kind of like expose on wrestling right. or bad things that were happening in wrestling. Uh, we tried, there was talk about doing that for speaking out, and we were kind of like immediately and brutally shut down by uh, one of the wrestling companies. And so, um, yeah, that journalism's not happening by anyone that gets access from WWE or AEW, for sure. Same with UFC. Right. Same with most boxing promotion. Um, it's just a different landscape from like the world that we grew up in, where these companies and athletes needed journalists and needed outlets major outlets like the local newspaper and Sports Illustrated and television to, to get their information across. Right. That was how it happened. So it was like a, a, a symbiotic relationship where like the media needed the athlete, the athlete needed the media. Now the athlete does not really need the media. Nope. Like a famous wrestler or a famous athlete like say Dwayne Wade or someone or famously recently like Kevin Durant who uh, produced his own 
documentary for Showtime, uh, they don't need like a traditional journalism nope. person. They don't need that at all. They can just reach the fans directly. Mm-hmm. And so um, you can't do any kind of combative journalism and expect to get access to the performers. Right. It's just not going to happen. Um, they don't need you. And you're, the companies that hire you don't want that. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know who the audience for that would be anyway. I mean, there would be a few. And there would be some. It would be uh, small. A small <laughs> percentage of the, the fan base would like that. Um, most of the fans do not want that. Like, they would be actively, like, like because of the nature of wrestling fans and how kind of. Um, clickish it is and, mm-hmm. and uh, tribal right. like uh, if you did like a, a, a an expose showing that like some kind of terrible thing was happening in a wrestling promotion instead of being like wow that's terrible that that's happening in this wrestling promotion they'd be like why are you attacking the, the wrestling promotion I right. like by exposing the fact that they're murdering right. know, puppy dogs like, right uh, oh well, what you'd really get is like a uh, whole lot of people WWE being like, "Yeah, well, the, puppy the other story. the other promotion does that too. Why why are you silent about that? Right? How come you didn't <laughs> mention this thing?" Well, I personally, as a fan who consumes a lot of wrestling, uh, reads almost nothing about wrestling. I so, f- I've actually found in the last <laughs> right didn't even read the stuff you wrote most of the time. <laughs> uh, that's fine. I, I don't read. Uh, so people often talk to me as if I uh, consume a lot of uh, journalism about MMA or wrestling. I don't at all. Um, I don't find it necessary to enjoy it. And in fact, I found it, I find it the opposite yeah, so to the point where like, so I have, uh, I don't have anything personal against like most wrestling journalists, but I've muted or unfollowed most of them on Twitter and places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoy it much more like uh, the kind of stuff that they put out as journalism turns out is doesn't have anything to do with me watching the show and right. enjoying the rest exactly and so um well that's like when you when we first uh, discussed um doing a, a podcast with one of the promotions we were watching like you started asking me questions and like i didn't understand that you that we would talk to wrestlers as like performers who played characters because I literally had never given any thought to the people behind the characters. I only thought about the characters. Yeah. And then, uh, so <laughs> actually everyone was really interested in that. So yeah, it was, um, the promotion was MLW and we did like several of the podcasts where we talked to, uh, the wrestlers after the matches and like kind of talked about what into what went into making the matches and, you know, uh, real life stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Christina thought it was going to be, um, us is like playing journalists talking to them as if they were their character. It was the only, it's like nothing else had ever crossed my mind. But every single person I told that to was like, wow, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> like if you did a podcast where you talk to a wrestler as if that was their, they were their character. And I, and then I even like expanded that, like, what if you did like a biography, not of like Ric Flair, the guy who performs as Ric Flair, but, but like Ric Flair. But Ric Flair, the fake athlete. Yeah. And like, and then you acted like every title that he won was real and every terrible he th- thing he did on TV was something that Ric Flair really did. Like, can you even imagine where it's just like, you know, you did like a 30 for 30 uh, documentary on a wrestler <laughs> and pretending like all the terrible things that they did. But that's all like, were that's, real? I mean, 
it, it had never occurred to me before that to point to them. care about the person. And that's, that's why like a lot of this stuff that, that people get outraged about is like, it doesn't reach me the same way because I have never given any thought to like, who are these people who, who play these characters? Yeah, I mean, like, it's such a waste of energy in some ways where it's just like, um, who cares it's to me? Like, yeah, uh, and, any more than an actor or an actress on but, my favorite television show. But they show. care about that now too. So I mean, oftentimes, like you and I are shocked to find out that some actor that we were watching on a television show is like British and not American, <laughs> right. or Australian and not American, and it's just like I give it no thought. Like, yeah, I just I found don't out care that the guy from Homeland and Billions. Yeah, that's right. That's what British, I was thinking of. Apparently. Um, yeah, like who knew? I don't care. I just no, care about the No, I never give it any thought I care whatsoever. About the art. I don't care. And so, like today, I saw like a bunch of people were in on like the wrestler low key uh, doesn't believe in vaccinations and maybe believes in QAnon or something. And it's like people want to be outraged about it. And it's just like I, but I, but I not... have never actually heard an opinion from low key the wrestler on any of those things, right. like, which is. Like <laughs> he's to me, it's like okay, Loki is good at fake fighting. Um, so if Loki, the, guy, the, the guy who plays Loki, right, is maybe an idiot. I I assume most people are idiots. I don't really care. Right. Like, what does that mean to me? What What is it supposed to mean? Mm-hmm. As long as like in in his real life, he's not um, terrible in some in some demonstrable way. Um, where he belongs in prison or something or like, you know, like that's a problem for his, his real life colleagues and right. employers and stuff. Like they can work out that. Yes. I just care about what's on TV. Right. Or what I see in the, in the ring. Like, um, yeah. If the character of Loki would like to, uh, be like a flat earth, anti-vaccine, no mask heel, uh, then, you know, I will boo that character. <laughs> but that's I, that's as much as I care about. I, I, I do kind of, like, wonder, like, why um, why we have to know so much about everybody. I don't know. Like, it also, so, like, like people want to know, like, the journalists that, like, tell, like, what are their opinions about stuff? Like, who cares? Like, what what does it matter? Like, why do you care? Who has the energy? Like, I got enough people in my real life that believe dumbass shit. <laughs> you know? That's to be right. worried about what, like, a, pro, a TV pro wrestler thinks about stuff. Like, a, that's just not within my bandwidth of caring. Um, but we've gotten way sidetracked from the, the question, which is about, like, what about real journalists and wrestling? Um I just think it's unlikely. Well, I mean, that's the kind of stuff the real journalists would track down. And for me, the answer is I don't care. So Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Meadow Michael asks again about Natalia. Um, can she be a top star in the women's division? If not Natalia, who would be your dream opponent for Shayna Baszler if she ever stepped into the fight pit? I feel like Natalia's time has come and gone. Yeah, I think that she is um, She is on the tail end of her career. I feel like she's the veteran who's, you know, and teaching she, the up-and-comers. She has been for a long time. Yeah. Like, you know, she she's kind of in a position um, that, that her uncle was at one point. Like, when I was writing the book about Ken Shamrock, uh, Owen Hart 
was a guy that WWE would put into the ring with a, a newcomer or somebody that needed some polish mm-hmm. to kind of like get them uh, in a position where they could work uh, good longer matches with with other people on the roster. Like they could be in the ring with Owen Hart. Another one was Jeff Jarrett, who they would book in those kind of positions on house shows to, to really help a newcomer along, right? figure things out. I mean, I, I like Natalia a lot. I think she's very talented. But at this point, I think if she gets some sort of a championship push, it's it feels like one of those, will you deserve it? for the body of your work sure. and not because you are currently the best or the most exciting performer. And I think that she's, uh, has an interesting position historically, um, as kind of like a bridge yeah, exactly. between like the divas mm-hmm. era of just like kind of models, TNA kind of stuff, uh, into like now where you have fully formed actual pro wrestlers mm-hmm. who are, are great performers, right. uh, equal to the, to the men. Um, she's a bridge between those two eras. And I think that a very important one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think she's probably uh, has already played that role you're talking about in real life, helping develop these younger women right. and, and, um, and allowing them to, to kind of build on what she's done and take it uh, a whole, to another level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that she's among the best wrestlers anymore among the women right like that's just not who she is right now she's uh allowed them to be who they are uh and that's very admirable but um i think her day has like her best days have come and gone all right um, so what about basler like the fight pit kind of match like that timothy thatcher champa kind of hmm. um might be interesting to see her work against somebody really big like a Gonzalez. Or, yeah, or, or Nia Jax is one where they've kind of had that back and forth. Um, Basler uh, adds, like, kind of like a credibility that, um, like, it's hard to watch, like, Nia Jax and Alexa Bliss or something. Right. And find it believable. Right, right. That's what I meant. Right. Like, to, she is a, you know, she, she could be believable against, against somebody big. And she wasn't here long enough to for them to develop or tell the story, but um, there's... Uh, potentially a Ronda Rousey match with with Baszler because of their real life relationship and backgrounds, and um, I, I think that they could have an interesting match. That just you know they they were not in a place where they could go head to head when Ronda was in WWE. Do they have any other up and coming female wrestlers that that have an MMA background or work in MMA style? I mean, they, they don't really, do they? I thought they would have more, actually. I thought more would follow. Yeah, I, I'm not sure um, why why that's not the case. Huh. I just actually just kind of just thought about that. But, yeah, I mean, they don't... I thought more would follow Shayna and Ronda into professional wrestling, but it doesn't seem like that's happening. No, um, I don't know. I'm not sure why. Like it's it, it's a very specific skill set mm-hmm. to to be a WWE or big time wrestler of of any kind, and I mean just to be frank, there's an aesthetic component to it. Sure. Uh, you know, it's just like being an actor or actress in any other form of entertainment where, you know, there's a lot of talented people, uh, and, but at the highest level of TV and movies and wrestling. Uh, you got talented people who are also uh, unusually attractive. Right. So that's an, another element that um, 
LeBron to, you know, happens to check right. that maybe other like real legitimate athletes don't. And it's very, still very important for women's wrestlers, whether it should be or not is a different question. Right. But I mean, it is. So, um, I don't know if we answered that question. All right. But we took a shot at it. Uh, the final question, and this is a result of probably, um, me tweeting about us rewatching Downton Abbey. Uh, wrestling fan asks, who is the bigger villain? Thomas, the dastardly footman, or Miss O'Brien, the dastardly ladies' maid? Okay. Um, so I would have to go with O'Brien. I think her uh, evil transgressions are a bit worse. And I feel like we never really understand why she is that way the same way that we a little bit kind of get some understanding of Thomas. Sure. Because I mean, so we, we come to know spoiler alert that Thomas is, is gay in, in a time where uh, being gay was criminal, literally criminal. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that informs kind of uh, some of his behaviors. I think like just having to, to, um, well, he always, hide who he is. Right, and, and he like, feels like he's on the outside of everything. Sure. He's bitter. And he he's had a, you know, he discusses having been bullied a lot. Miss um, O'Brien, I'm I'm never quite sure, like, why she is the way she is. Like, a lot of Thomas's evil acts come from a desire to um, sort of push out his competition and move up in the world. But for her kind of status, Mrs. O'Brien is she's sort of at the top at a lady's maid. She has a very cushy position uh, for someone in her, on her social, in her social sphere. So I don't know what drives her. She's just seems to just be black and bitter from the inside out. There, there's an element to both of them though of, um, and I think the actors, especially the one who plays Thomas does a really good job of this, of kind of just um, that, Sometimes they just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. Like, let's just see what happens. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to stir some shit up. Yeah. Uh, let's see what goes. But I will also point out that in that first season, Lady Edith is not a pleasant person either. Now, you know, she obviously grows and matures and softens. But in that first season, she's right up there as one of the villains. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, because, I mean, at least with Miss O'Brien and with... Uh, Thomas, um, in, in at least in the first couple of seasons, most of their plotting is against people who are, you know, just work colleagues or competition. But, you know, Edith plots against her own family. So I wouldn't leave her off that list either in those early days. I love Down Abbey. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I'm really enjoying watching it again. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, that was the, the the questions. All right. We poorly answered most of them. <laughs> uh, anything else? What, what's coming up wrestling-wise? You know what? It's kind of weird right now, to be completely honest. This is the first time in years that I have not watched a New Japan tour very closely. I feel really disconnected from a lot of it. Like, uh, even, like, the post-WrestleMania WWE, like... Uh, I don't know. I just don't feel interested. This is a very weird time. And at first I was just thinking about New Japan because they're running this tour right now with no Ibushi, no Okada, no Jay White. Um, 
you know, kind of they've got two feuds brewing over the ownership of inanimate objects. Um, they've got a ladder match coming up, which is so strange, and they're running this stuff with Yano and his weird king of pro wrestling, and it's just all very disjointed. I can't tell where any of it's going. They've got so many of their big stars, like, not really involved in anything, you know, quote, important right now, that it's just, it just feels like, uh, such this strange transition phase that I can't figure out. But then when I thought about it, I realized that right now all the major promotions feel a little bit like that, a little disjointed. Like with WWE, WrestleMania was a very good two days of shows, but then now it's kind of like, well, okay, Roman retained, but where is this going? Like, who's next for him and what makes any sense with the whole tribal chief, uh, you know, head of the table stuff? Um, I don't a lot of the feuds that felt like they could have been ended apparently are going to continue on. And so it's all, I don't know, it all feels very disjointed, I guess, which for me is sort of the best word. Sure. And then AEW is a, a, kind of in there as well. Uh, you have AEW champion Kenny Omega taking on Impact champion title for title in a match in late April that AEW has been mostly silent on. And I understand that it's co-promoted and that he's facing someone from outside of AEW, but it's still your champion. It seems very strange to not talk about it at all. And then... Well, I think just generally as well that um, uh, AEW champion Kenny Omega has been built and explained... And presented better on Impact yes. than he has on AEW. Yes, consistently better on, on Impact. But yet, what's going on with that it seems to be like kind of just limited to Kenny Omega and Tony Khan. Like, it, it's really, it's just very, very strange. And then, I'm assuming, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say... Uh, Kenny Omega is not losing his AEW championship to Impact champion Rich Swan, which means that in just a, like a month's time after that, we're, somebody's going to have to step up and be the person who will be challenging AEW champion Kenny Omega or perhaps double champion Kenny Omega at, at double or nothing. And I don't know who that's going to be. I don't get a sense for where we're going with any of this. So it's all, it all feels really weird right now, very fuzzy in all the promotions, which, um, you know, has kind of sort of pulled me out a little bit as a fan. Like I'm not as invested. Yeah. I mean, so it's easy to, to blame uh, the COVID environment for a lot of this. Um, I think with new Japan in particular though, um, it's, bigger than that feels in, like it maybe in that um it just you know there's it's the same wrestlers year after year mm -hmm. and I, they don't seem to be uh making any plans or doing a good job of developing whoever the next stars are going to be well, i mean i think this tour is an attempt at that um where they're focusing on this new united empire um they've there's a lot of discussion backstage about young, new 
wrestlers like the United Empire versus your old established wrestlers like Tanahashi, like Ibushi, um, like Shingo, um, you know, so they're definitely like telling this story. I don't know if it's just me, but a lot of the people that they're pushing are, are not connecting. Yeah, with me. I, I, not with me, but um, I think they were actually very fortunate to have Ibushi um, to fill time in the last two years uh, where he was able to main event the, the Dome shows two years running um, as sort of a, a guy that they were lucky to to happen upon into their promotion who um, just so happens to be the best professional wrestler in the world. Um, so he's able to kind of fill those those roles, yeah. despite not not really having been developed for them, right? By by New Japan, his just his excellence mm-hmm. is uh, such that he can be inserted into that spot, yes, in a way that is very difficult to do with anyone else, right? Um, and you know, and you should have used that time to be working on developing the whoever's next, but they just don't have that person. Yeah, I mean, well, this is the perfect. For me, this is the perfect example of the weird sort of disjointed feel that New Japan has going on. Um, They have already started selling tickets for their big May, end of May Tokyo Dome show um, that's going to be headlined by Okada facing whoever comes in as champion, which is probably is either going to be Osprey or Shingo. I think it's probably going to be Osprey. But yet, we have spent nearly 18 months with a bit of a sad sack, Okada, who has not made much of an argument for why he should be in this position, and now he's not on this tour. So they're going to have less than a month, about three weeks' time, to build something. And, and you know, I love Okada. I think he just embodies a champion. But I also feel like if you're going to push him as the main event of your biggest show of the year, not counting Wrestle Kingdom for the championship, like, are you really going to be able to build him in three weeks and make an argument as to why he gets this match? Like, does it convince people? I just don't know. Like, you know, I have a hard time understanding that. I mean, I think he's a establish at a point where it doesn't really take a lot for for him i mean i understand that i think just like generally they should be coming to a point in his career where he's the dominant champion and there is a new up-and-comer and the story is several years uh worth of that person building Mm -hmm. building to the point that they beat okada right and become the new okada but this is backwards right this is a this is backwards. They're gonna go into this big show with the new up and comer well, yeah. as the champion. Well, I mean, I don't think that the new up and comer is a Gaijin and, and I don't think it's Will Osprey. Right. It's like some Japanese guy that we don't really know yet, I don't think. Right. Because uh, maybe it's one of the new young lions or something. I don't know. But it's it's not it's not anyone that they've had on their roster because all those guys have been there for years now. I just, that's I f- the problem for, yeah. And I, for me, it's just, you spent 18 months creating this sad sack down on his luck, not winning Okada. You couldn't have given us a few tours where he got it, everything back together. 
and was ready to challenge for the the championship. Like it's just so haphazard. Um, I don't know. I think I, the, I just the main can't get into it. Is there's just no rising stars. The mid card instead of like being filled with people with potential who you're waiting to see what their career, how their career is going to unfold. It's uh, it's Ishii. Mm-hmm. It's, it's filled with old 50 guys. Fifty year old Suzuki. It's like f- legit old guys. Yeah, like forty year old. Forty plus year old like, guys. Uh, like everyone in yes. the middle card. Even most of the undercard guys are old guys. Mm-hmm. So there is no young rising talent. That's a huge issue. Huge. Like, like that can't. That's not sustainable. Right. So. Um, I don't know what their solution is, but it's not going to be Will Ospreay. I mean, it's not Ibushi as much as I love him. He's 39. Yes. You know, I I just, I'm not sure. I don't know what to make of New Japan. It it seems like uh, they may have peaked and we're going to see. It's it's all ebbs and flows. And and maybe there's going to be, there's going to be a low period before it can, can rise again. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see... Well, if there was ever a time for them to consider cross-promotion, I think it's now. I think they need that desperately. So, we'll see what happens. But um, to answer your question generally, uh, not a lot of big stuff on the horizon. This will just be kind of a a regular uh, watch your weekly shows and and figure out what you're going to dive into next. Well, hopefully we can... uh... We can build up the enthusiasm to do a couple of podcasts. <laughs> if not, we'll see you all back here in six months or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not that long. All right.